Hi there, this is Ryan File from the Mail Tribune, and you're listening to The Insider, the stories behind our stories. If there's a story series or other project that I either think is particularly interesting or took quite a bit more elbow grease to put together, I want to share some of that behind-the-scenes stuff that went on to get it on the page. You know, how the journalism is made, if you will. Crime reporter Nick Morgan is back as my guest today, and we're talking about a story that has been with him in some shape or form for a few years. It involves the latest development in a complex network of fraudulent businesses that mailed out deceptive magazine subscription renewal notices and bilked unwitting recipients out of millions between 2010 and 2015. White City, Oregon, of all places, was the central hub for this scheme. The two masterminds behind it, Jeffrey Hoyle of Southern Oregon and Dennis Simpson of Southern California, were recently ordered to pay close to $9 million just last week in federal court. Eight others, we'll call them lieutenants, can't work in the subscription business ever again. That's what Nick's latest story is about, but I wanted to catch anyone up who hadn't been following along as well. Nick, welcome back. Hey, thanks so much. It's good to be here. Yeah. We have been covering... I just want to get right into this. We have been covering this story since 2015. And now I did a quick search using Mr. Hoyle's name and it pulled up almost 20 stories on our site. Former Tribune reporter Thomas Moriarty wrote a few, I wrote a couple, but you've definitely written the bulk of them. So to start with, I was hoping you could set the stage and kind of give the framework as to what this story is about, like, you know, big picture, and then we can start to zoom in. Basically, this was a scheme that's uh, been going on longer than that five-year scope uh, that the Federal Trade Commission talks about. Um, Mm -hmm. Their lawsuit focuses on 2011 to 2015, but uh, this has been a scheme that's gone on for about two decades. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, In broad strokes, uh, it's simple, but uh, obviously the details are where uh, this case gets really myriad. Basically... This case involved, out of White City, this independent publishing company that um, independently sold newspaper and magazine subscriptions would send out cards that looked, um, they called them mailers, or they've been called in court documents mailers. Uh, These are mailers that looked like they came direct from the publisher, but they'd actually go to them, and then from there they would sign that person up for a subscription. What's unique about this case is that uh, in most instances, the customer got what they wanted, but they paid extra for it. Uh, Basically, newspapers around the country resorted to cease and desist letters. They resorted to ads on their pages saying, uh, make sure the bill is from us. Uh, This scheme was causing a lot of consternation throughout the throughout the publishing industry. From White City, they were uh, seeking subscriptions at times for newspapers like uh, the Cincinnati Inquirer, the Denver Post. The bulk of what they their renewals were uh, people around the country uh, subscribing to the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. Obviously, there were lots of Better Business Bureau complaints about this. Uh, there were lots of state attorneys general that were concerned about this scheme, which uh, a federal judge finally ruled deceptive earlier this fall. A five-week trial ensued uh, related to this uh, in in late 2018. What came out last week, or on April 18th, was the judge's findings of fact. It talks about a common enterprise, is the term that they use, 
where basically you have these interrelated companies that all perform different parts of the um, of the subscription scheme, and they all had extremely generic names. And this was really the part that you kind of had to keep your eye on the ball. To me, at first glance, it seemed like companies with names like um, Adapt Management or uh, Reality Cats. The names don't logically translate to, oh, this, this is the parent company of a subscription renewal business. A key piece of this case that I thought was um, unique was basically you have the organizers of uh, this web of businesses. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission named 94 businesses that these 10 people were tied to. But the people named as presidents or secretaries weren't the people that were making the decisions. Uh, they were figureheads, basically. The two individuals who made the bulk of the profits presented themselves as consultants, but they were consultants, but they were paid the most. Obviously, it was a unique structure that raised the eye of the Federal Trade Commission. This was after states like New York and obviously the state of Oregon had uh, gone after um, similar schemes involving these players. And, but what would happen is the businesses would either uh, close up shop and move the assets to a new business in their names without even shifting offices, or they would um, just change their current name to a doing business as, and in the hopes that that would uh, get past. Newspaper publishers like the, the New York Times sent them multiple cease and desist letters, and they would just start again uh, with a new business. Is that one of the reasons that this went on so long? It is because of the fact that they just kept dodging them in, in, in this maze-like fashion almost? That's a big reason. The organizers of this scheme had lawyered up. The organizers went through a lot of work to uh, avoid detection from uh, the newspaper publishers that had told them, uh, we don't want your orders, uh, which I should note is uh, extremely atypical. Their business model was very different from um, the standard uh, third-party subscription sellers. Those work as a clearinghouse. Uh, subscription sellers typically have uh, um, with the publisher. The publisher offers um, fluctuating uh, rates. The newspaper publisher or the magazine publisher, they want to keep their subscription rates at a certain level to maintain contracts that they have with advertisers uh, by offering those, uh, those specials they save on you know, the newspaper publisher saves on printing their own, uh, their, their own advertising mailers. You know, a third party mailer isn't supposed to, uh, isn't supposed to resemble uh, uh, a newspaper subscription renewal notice. Yeah, that's one of the reasons the state uh, tried to intervene back in 2015. Uh, that's probably a story that you covered back then was when they settled. The state, yes, that was yeah. one that I wrote. Uh, there, there were a lot of uh, key requirements in that settlement. The federal judge zeroed in on some of those uh, in his finding of fact. And one of the things he calls them on is that uh, in prior settlements, uh, there was one in 2004, even before the 2015 settlement, the state uh, required the players to have uh, the words independent agent, not a bill, keep this portion of offer in at least seven point font, and apparently that never, um, it, it looks an awful lot like a, you know, at least at first glance and maybe even second glance, it looks like a, a, an actual renewal notice for the Washington Post. And I think that's something that the, the judge called them on. I think in a previous story, the judge said, none of this indicates that this is a bill. 
you've had to wade through, I mean, so many details to cover this. Um, what are like, you know, two or three particularly bit interesting bits of info you've come across along the way? I think the, the main one that seemed really interesting to me was uh, the level of effort that they went to once they received an an order from a subscriber. The newspapers that they were dealing with that didn't want their orders knew to watch out for a white city postmark. They'd worked very hard to uh, evade detection and um, they'd worked very hard to fill out subscription mail cards, basically the same ones that an individual renewing their actual subscription would sign. They just sent those cards in the individual's name and then would uh, mail it out in in areas that weren't white city, that's for sure. In my latest story, the, the judge thought that was um, extremely unique. Apparently this process was called a card clearing process, and the judge described that as uh, a remarkable example of how different this uh, web of businesses was compared to uh, the industry standard in third-party subscription sellers. They'd recruit people from retirement homes to um, pull subscription cards out of like magazine folds. And uh, once they sent out the subscription cards, they'd avoid using the same pen, the judge said. So they were very cognizant that they were under a microscope, essentially. Yeah, and that's one of the things that the, the judge called them on was, um, you know, the, the judge kind of steered away from looking into their actual intent. Throughout the trial, they um, tried to present themselves as legitimate players just trying to make it in the subscription sales industry. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the judge basically called them recklessly in, indifferent to um, a long list of red flags. And these are the, the lieutenants, as I called them before. Uh, I, I think he was talking about all players in the scheme. Oh, okay. The judge gave uh, Southern Oregon-based ringleader uh, Jeffrey Hoyle credit for um, standing by the worker defendants, as as we called as they called them, basically the folks that were um, listed in you know the Secretary of State's office and other business registries as uh, the president or secretary um, or, or key officers in these businesses. Uh, the two ringleaders made about fifteen million dollars each over uh, about a five-year period, according to the judge. And uh, many of those figurehead uh, employees um, who were listed as officers in, you know, in company records, you know, some of them got six-figure salaries at times. Basically, he was saying that no one involved was blameless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you ever talked to Mr. Hoyle or anyone involved in this directly? I know uh, early on in my, um, in, in my career, Hoyle or his lawyer called uh, insisting that uh, he was a mere consultant. Uh, obviously, that's something that the, the judge has challenged in his, uh, in his findings. Uh, that was something that challenged me to ensure I understood the details. So you said that the, each of these guys made $15 million dollars. Yeah, the two the two ringleaders mm -hmm. or the two leaders, and um, and we know that multiple entities, including the state of Oregon, the Federal Trade Commission, et cetera, have uh, have sued them. Um, how much money have these guys had to cough up and pay back? I mean, this most recent one, it was close to nine million, but I didn't know if you knew. Like, well, uh, so the total damages was uh, more than twelve million, but they're 
uh, they're giving them credit for uh, three, I think it's three and a quarter million uh, that the state of Oregon required them to, to pay up back in 2015. So um, basically they're, they're subtracting that amount because that was money going, going to victims or, or folks who felt they were deceived. You know, there's still a handful of loose ends in, in that case uh, to tie up. And I, I imagine plenty of appeals that will be filed. Um, and are there any other lawsuits that have yet to be resolved? You, you mentioned, you know, like the inevitable appeal process and stuff like that, but I didn't know if there were any other well, separate the, cases. Dennis Simpson uh, still has a lawsuit in state court uh, against Jeffrey Hoyle. He claims that he, he'd embezzled funds somehow and basically he's seeking millions of dollars in a lawsuit that's currently scheduled to go on in November. So this one figurehead is turned against the other figurehead? Yeah, apparently uh, about 2015 it, it appears that the two had some sort of falling out and uh, I've seen a lot of back and forth uh, million dollar judgments and you know the, they keep trying to sue for attorney fees. Even, you know, even if they lose, it seems like they sue for attorney fees or, you know. Um, but what intrigues me about that back and forth is that, you know, this is all based on millions of dollars gained uh, by deceiving people. I, I, know, I know we'd heard from victims who'd uh, found out that it was based in White City and you know, fueling these million-dollar judgments against uh, these two leaders behind the scheme were a lot of people that were, were bilked into paying too much for subscriptions. And, I don't know, it, it seems like a snowball fight or something with uh, something that affected real people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so what's next for you on this story? Well, uh, certainly I'm, I intend to watch how that... Um, uh, that state court lawsuit is is going to go. I'm certainly not done watching how everything unfolds. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, Nick. I really appreciate the time and um, the the explanation on this uh, very complicated story that you've yeah, been on. Yeah, uh, I know that's not one that uh, is as easy for folks to follow as some of my other stories, but it's certainly one of my big challenges. You know, e each time I try to tackle an update on the story, I hope I make it easier to follow than the last. You can read Nick's latest installment in this ongoing story at mailtribune.com. And once again, this is Ryan File, and you've been listening to The Insider. <laughs>